Hello, and welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Today, we're going to be continuing the discussion about the Borg in Resistance is Futile, Part 2, Episode 14. If you're new here, my name is Victoria, and with me is my co-host, T. Star Trek Sundays is a podcast through which we and our guest crew examine some of the philosophical themes presented in Star Trek every Sunday at 10 a.m. PST on Clubhouse. So T, thank you again for curating this week's watch list. The watch party on Discord yesterday was a lot of fun, and the discussions between shows and after the party were great. So before we get into the questions and invite people up to the stage, please tell us what inspired the title of the room and the topic and how you chose the watch list. Definitely, Victoria. Um, the topic of resistance is futile, and the Borg is something we first covered back in episode nine, where we did an introduction of who they are and what they represent. In this episode, I thought it would be interesting to dive deeper into how they operate and what they're capable of. If it's kidnapping and assimilating Picard or learning how to become an individual, they're always a fascinating case study in maximum overkill and in group and swarm dynamics as they rapidly adapt to the situations they encounter and dominate with superior technology. So let's take a look at some of the deeper topics that the show writers bring to these episodes as we discuss Resistance is Futile, Part 2. Uh, thank you, T. That's, that's great. T, let's start with the best of both worlds. Can you provide a summary of the episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it what it was about? And then I have some questions for you. The Best of Both Worlds, Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 26, first aired on the 18th of June, 1990. In this episode, the Borg begin an invasion of Federation space much sooner than was expected. With the Enterprise unable to affect them, the Borg capture Captain Picard and turn him into one of their own. I chose this episode because it's the one where Locutus of Borg is born, with Picard being lost to the Borg and, and Riker having to make the decision to fire on his captain. It's a critical episode because it sets up the Borg and Picard's future as intertwined. Yeah, this this was great. Thank you. So, so my thoughts on this, the notes I took from yesterday, and and then we'll move into the the questions. Per, perhaps it's because I'm watching so much Star Trek <laughs> with particular topics in mind, taking notes and meeting with everyone here, etc. But when I'm watching some of the episodes, other episodes that we've watched together come to mind really easily. And in this one, the ending with Riker having to make a decision about firing on the Borg with Picard included in the collective reminded me of the scenes in which Spock and Kirk have had to make some decisions about whether to sacrifice each other. And here, Riker does make the decision to fire on the Borg, despite the protests from the crew. And I thought, okay, here we see the commander of the ship making the right call, because we've talked before about how, you know, Kirk hasn't done it. He wanted to save Spock and risk everybody else. And with that, with me making those connections, I think I finally jumped into the final hurdle and can call myself a Trekkie. <laughs> so there's my announcement. Week 14. <laughs> I have a lot more to learn and a lot more to watch, but I, I really felt like, oh man, I'm seeing lots of these things being intertwined. 
And they're not even the same series, right? With respect to today's topic, Resistance is Futile Part 2, and this particular episode, Picard loses his identity when he's assimilated by the group. And I wondered what the show writers were, were saying with that. Do we tend to lose our identity as individuals when we identify as we become part of the group? Is it true that what you put out there about yourself, you in turn lose ownership of that? The whole collective has always been really interesting to me and I just wanted to put that out there. And I've got some lighter questions too, because we did talk about questions yesterday. So what do you think about that? Do we tend to lose our identity as individuals when we identify as part of a group? I think so, to some degree at least, um, because I identify as T or I identify as, you know, I don't know, a Christian or something else. And so when when we put ourselves out there as being part of something else, then uh, that becomes a part of who we are and we're no longer ourselves. We're now a part of that grouping. In the same regard, when we put our identity as being a part of that grouping, I think we lose a part of that identity because now that identity becomes associated with the group. And now that identity is partially owned by the group. So when you see people acting uh, inappropriate or in ways that you wouldn't uh, necessarily approve of. And then you associate it with them being, you know, a member of a group in turn. I think that that's an example of ways in which we lose uh, parts of ourselves to the group and in putting ourselves out there, lose ownership of that, of that part of our identity. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so while you were talking about that, I was thinking about the conversations we've had in the past here on this stage about um, community and cultures, right? It, it was only a couple of weeks ago that we talked about how joining a culture doesn't just change you, but you put something then into that culture. And so, you know, if you wanted to say the Borg was a culture of some sort, you would be changed by that. But I, I guess I'm, 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 invi I'm inviting people up as I'm, I'm thinking about this, but I, I then wonder about how that the culture or the, the group is then part of your identity. You're, you are part of their identity. And, and that leads me to this whole guilty by association. And maybe I'm going off topic here, but what you had said reminded me that there's this, perhaps I feel it more than others, but a, a responsibility in some way of representing. Like when I'm at work, when I have a job where, um, you know, I'm, I'm dug in, I do feel that my behavior is a representation of the company to some degree. Obviously, many people don't because they end up acting out and then getting fired because that group says, hey, you can't represent us, right? I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think that's a critical way in which we do lose our identity is we put on the uniform. You know, if it's a if it's a McDonald's hat or a shell uniform or whatever it is that that we do, if it's a even if it's a suit, that's still a uniform of sorts. And in doing so, we're identifying ourselves through our dress 
and losing our part of our identity because we're no longer able to dress the way we want to dress and self-identify in that way. We're now constrained in the ways that we can self-identify because we are part of the group. Right. Yeah. It, it can feel like a, a straitjacket, I guess. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, thank you for that. Welcome to the stage. Wow, I'm really happy that everybody's come up. We've got Sid, Jamesy, Lasha, Charlotte, Steve, Sean. I've invited Joanna and Kevin up. Um, and Ishmael's in the audience. They're welcome to come up as well. So, Jamesy, what does this bring up for you? You were at the um, uh, watch party yesterday, weren't you? I made it the previous week. I didn't make it. Oh, the previous week. Okay. Yeah, there were a lot of people, so I didn't know all of their icons. So, um, um, but yeah, so what does this bring up for you about identity and, and individual identity when we become part of a group? So just a quick counterpoint to what T said, seven of nine kind of operates as like a, a guide in that quadrant because she's familiar with the species that they're interacting with. And she'll say like these are great tactic they make great tactical officers or these are really good uh navigators and these guys made an improvement to our own warp systems that kind of thing but that you know i just got to flex my star trek muscle sometimes so in in terms of identity when we're not talking about like unimmutable characteristics i i care more than most people i think about just like authenticity and um one of the memories that Came to, came to mind was after I left my faith, I still had a tattoo that identified me as a member of that faith. And somebody, you know, asked me for some charity. And I, I, I did kind of a dismissive pass. And they told me, you know, you're a fake ass Christian. And that really motivated me to like do something with this tattoo to make it at least not at a distance identifiable. Um, you know, if you, if you join the theater troupe or the cheer squad or, or whatever band band, like that's going to come with some unintended stereotypes. So like the unintended consequences of an identity aren't really something that we are good at figuring out um, until we're like already identifying with it. But, but for me, I, I do remember like my behavior improved when I was both a Christian and wearing a cross. Oh, wow. So it improved from before that time? You're not saying that, that then it um, it got worse after you did something with the cross and left your faith? No, just like the time that I was a Christian, if I was wearing a cross, my, my behavior was better, like while I was identifying with the group, because I represented the group. Oh, wow. Wow. And so you felt a sense of responsibility. That's correct. Right. Yeah, that that's really interesting. Thank you. I appreciate that. Lasha, welcome to the stage. Um, what about you? Do we tend to lose our identity as individuals when we identify as part of a group? Hello, my love. Um, I wish I was on board with everything that James just said, but I'm not. Because for me, when I find a group that I resonate with, I'm not losing myself. I'm just becoming a stronger version of myself. So if I'm part of the Hive Collective of the Borg, I didn't watch any of these episodes. And I have another form of thinking. I'm not a fan of Seven of Nine. I'm not. I never have been a fan of hers at all. 
Um, but I am a fan of the newer version and the rendition of what the Borg has um, has brought up with Picard and all of that. I see where it is. When you find your tribe, that's how I look at the Borg. You find your tribe and you find a tribe that you resonate with. One, even though you're a hive mind or a collective, you're a collective of like-minded individuals. You are, it, the Borg could be anything. The board could be a whole bunch of people who like needlepoint. <laughs> you know, the board can be a whole bunch of people who are, you know, who like making sandwiches and who are super artistic and and things like that. I mean, it it, it they bring on your conscious existence existence into their own. And I feel like the Borg has been uniquely and um it's been misunderstood for a long time. I don't know why I like the Borg so much. <laughs> I do, but I do. I love the fact that they're actually a collective who've come together of reasonable, like-minding individuals. Not reasonable, sorry. Oh, bad, bad term of words. They're a collective who are there to um, to do things for, pe for things. And I think that the Borg could actually do some good, especially this season of Picard they can do some good. <laughs> I mean, the shit that's going on right now, can, like, give me a collective of boring individuals in the hive mind so I can so I can change some shit. Yeah, I think that right now the Borg is great. So I'm, I really love the pushback and feedback that I'm getting from the crew. And I don't want to put myself in the, I don't want to make the same mistake that Riker made as first officer of, of, you know, going against his crew, I think I need to change my position. I think that people have really opened my mind to the, the, the aspect of that individuals lend to a group and how they can be, how their own individuality, individuality can be enhanced by the group. And I think that's a very interesting take. And I thank you for that. Yeah, same. I mean, part of the reason I I absolutely love this this uh, room that we have every Sunday is the way in which people disagree and put out why they disagree, right? Why they've seen something different, and uh, and maybe that's the the magic of of Star Trek. Um, Charlotte would be next on the list, and I'm just looking at the time here. So what I want to do is hold on to that thought, and the reason we can do that easily is because Jamesy has put question one in the chat. So um, uh, keep that in mind. Anybody new can have a look at that. But what I want to do is move on to the next episode, and then we'll start from the bottom and see if anything comes up from some of the new people on the stage. So... This is Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse. Our regular show is Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. Today we're discussing Resistance is Futile Part 2. T, can you provide a summary of the next episode, Scorpion, to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it what it was about? Most definitely. Scorpion, Voyager, Season 3, Episode 26, first aired the 21st of May, 1997. In this episode, upon entering Borg space, Voyager encounters an alien race even more powerful than the Borg and bent on destroying all life in the galaxy, 
leading Captain Janeway to enter into an alliance with the Borg in order to defeat them. I chose this episode because it's an example of resistance not being futile, which is an unusual turn of events when encountering the encountering the Borg. I'm just going to take a, a second of, of First Officer's privilege here. I've discussed this in the past, where um, the Borg seemed to be Picard's foil, because Picard always uh, engages in uh, diplomacy in order to avoid space combat. And I chose these shows very specifically because that uh, that is put on display, that, you know, the extended space combat in The Next Generation. And in this episode, we see another example of resistance not being futile and how, um, you know, that, that trope can get turned on its head with very interesting uh, results. And so I think it's as much as the Borg can be a foil to Picard, in a lot of ways, this, I think, is an example of how the Borg itself has to learn to grow and adapt and can be helpful to to the humans and even go back on their own, their mantra of resistance is futile. Thank you, T. Thank you for going into that um, in-depth uh, comment on it. This, it surprised me because this was the first time that I've seen this. Um, the, all of these episodes that we're watching uh, after Star Trek Next Generation, I haven't seen before. I really enjoyed this episode, despite it being super darkly lit, which I made comments about. And the discussion about this episode yesterday from the watch party didn't focus on the topic of the week, but on the relationship between Chakotay and Janeway. And I'm sure we'll get into that a bit more uh, over the weeks that we dive into Voyager. And maybe we can discuss that in the popcorn section. In this episode, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. The saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, was put to the test. Can you think of a time when that was the case for you, when you made friends with enemies because they were the enemies of your enemies? It happens all the time in business, I think, uh, where we form sort of temporary alliances in order to overcome a larger adversary. But it also happens, you know, sort of on a smaller scale where we have the, 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 the situations of, you know, we have menaces in society. And even though there are people in our midst who we might not necessarily always appreciate the actions of, sometimes it becomes the case where the enemy of the enemy is my friends. And I have to call in help that I would not otherwise rely on the help of, right? And so there are, it's just one of, those, one of those things where we have to accept the, the alliances and how they form and work within them. And I think that's one of the things that was put on display here is how the humans and Borg are sort of mortal sworn enemies, and yet they have to put that aside and respect the alliances that must be made in order to continue. Are they sworn enemies, though? Or are people perceiving them as sworn enemies? Well, we can get to that. <laughs> I have thoughts on this particular um, saying as it goes as well. So uh, I'm glad we're discussing this. So Ashaya, welcome to the stage and welcome to Star Trek Sundays. What about you? Did you have any thoughts on this? Can you think of a time that you made friends with enemies because they were the enemies of your enemies? 
Um, I don't think so. I can't like specify like, like exactly when that has occurred, but I've definitely made amends and also established long-time friendships with people that I was, let's say, like opposed, you know, with because of, you know, obviously, you know, emotionally divisive reasons, but, you know, it's always good to bridge the gap in between and realize that there's a bigger picture. But no to the question, but yes, in a different way. Well, thank you for that, because I, I, I think that leads into uh, one of the questions I had from the third episode. And so I don't want to give that away, but it does lead into that because they're closely related in some way. But we'll just uh, stick with this particular one at this moment. Kevin, welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Uh, what about you? Have you ever made friends with enemies because they were the enemies of your enemies? I can't think of an instance when I've had that kind of circumstance where, uh, yeah, I had to make an alliance temporarily with someone uh, because of a greater evil. Um, but I did feel like it was the second thing is kind of connected to the question that made me come up on stage about the identity thing, uh, becoming a part of a group and losing yourself. Um, and so I feel like you become a part of a group because you feel like you recognize that we have we have a, a similar purpose or a similar perspective or a similar point of view and then maybe if the point of view of yourself changes that you might leave or try to change the group or the group's purpose may change due to the leader uh, changing their perspective about what it means to be a member of this group and you can try and change it back to what it was before or you can leave but i did want to also speak to what lasha said the question about are they sworn enemies because the idea that if you're like if you're like in your house and then somebody comes in like we're gonna take all your stuff and like well they were they a sworn enemy of mine or am i just defending the whole thing with the borg is resistance is futile they're not giving you a choice you're you're losing your they're taking your identity you're not you're not lose you're not choosing to give up something it's being taken from you and so when the discussion earlier i feel like those are very different things choosing to be a part of a group because we have a similar world view or purpose and if that if those if that view changes i can choose to leave you don't have any choice about joining the borg and you don't have any choice about leaving the borg oh thank you kevin um yeah well and and stay tuned <laughs> because the next episode might flip what you just said uh, uh over a bit so thank you for that that contribution yeah it it is interesting when we're talking about the borg when it comes to you know obviously they kidnap people and use them Right. But in some of these, in this particular story arc of these three episodes, we go from them kidnapping Picard and assimilating him to in this particular episode, Janeway needs to befriend them and use them in order to stay safe from a, a worse enemy. So say you've got this guy or gal, I guess, breaking into your home. What is something that could be worse than that? I don't know. Maybe the burglar comes in, but then a murderer comes in, and now you and the burglar have to fight the murderer. I don't, I don't know how that works in real life outside of Star Trek, but that that's where we are with that. 
Uh, T, did you have any comments on that? I think we're dangerously close on broaching the the topic of the next the next one. So we should probably ask the question a few more times before we move on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I want to make a a quick note because Jamesy did say something in the chat that said, "Friends, no temporary alliances." Yes, somewhat shamefully, uh, and so I think that's on the table as well. So maybe it's not that you've made friends necessarily, but have you had to make the sacrifices that that Janeway is about to make in this episode? I'll move to Steve and Charlotte because we're making good time here and we've got great contributions. So thank you everybody for coming up. And Christy's joined us as well. She was in the watch party yesterday. So Steve, thank you for arranging the watch party. Once again, we had more people than usual and it just keeps growing. And it was lots of fun in the chat and being able to uh, talk about these episodes in between each of the episodes while the next one is being set up. So I really appreciate your efforts put in there. So uh, I want to ask this question to you. Has there been a time in your life when you made friends or acquaintances or some sort of alliance with enemies because they were the enemies of your enemies? So I, I first I have a hard time actually saying that I remember such a, a, a particular event. But when I really think about it, I am... I am so hard nosed against so many facets of um, the status quo of human society as it is today, that it's hard for me to not think that I'm making that sacrifice every time that I go with it, right? Like when I get a new job, I know my my boss is uh, very happy with the status quo, probably. Uh, uh, quite privileged leading up to his success to be my boss. While at the same time, I'm thinking, this is all trash, like this is all got to go. But because there's maybe, you know, bigger tycoons that he's even struggling against and competing with um, people in business, pretty much kind of like how T outlined it, right? There's, there's going to be bigger fish that both of us um, mutualistically can reach our goals of, of toppling, right. Or, or pushing against and getting our own. So I kind of feel like that, that just kind of goes inherently for me on a day to day, right. With any job, with any school, with any, uh, any, anything that I do that goes in hand with the aspects of society that I strongly disagree with. Thank you. So Charlotte, I'm going to put this to you and, uh, and you, you know, there's two questions out there, so you can answer one or both in this episode, the enemy of my enemy is my friend was put to the test. Can you think of a time that was the case for you when you made friends with enemies because they were the enemies of your enemies? Absolutely. And, um, Victoria, you know, me, you know, a little bit about my history. And um, with regards to writing legislation, uh, something that I became very active in after I was retired from the Navy, when I officially received my retirement papers, all of those frustrations about uh, uh, serving and defending the Constitution, yet I was serving in a military where I wasn't even welcome. I had to lie to be able to serve because there was a belief system in place that people in the LGBT community uh, 
were some kind of threat or unwelcome. And so um, after I was retired, I had the guts to, to take on legislation because it would have been, it would have taken almost a congressional to, to kick me out of my retirement status as, as a queer. And so um, what I did, um, my wife and I started writing legislation, becoming politically active, and I started meeting with people who had uh, supported other belief systems and met with them directly. Um, met with military leaders, uh, Wesley Clark, Max Cleland were people who were allies and they were helpful in directing me to other people when we went to Washington DC uh, to meet with directly and um, to take some of their questions and some of their concerns about gays serving in the military. And so I just brought it back to the Constitution that um, I have the right to serve. What does my intimacy, my, my choices in pair bonding have to do with nullifying my constitutional rights? And you know, the, the, the responses were actually very, very encouraging. You know, I, I, I took on that kind of mantra of keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer but also just asking them this question and watching them try to formulate an answer that was going to support their position. No one could. No one could. And then I also brought a little prop with me, which was a United States Navy Dixie Cup for enlisted men, you know, the little white hats. And I said, okay, if you support Gabe's serving in the military, sign this hat. And, um, if there were people who were going to uh, state an opposing view, then it was going to let them know we are going to publish these results. People are going to know what you have said. And, and we want you to know that this is an opportunity for us all to just take a look at this, you know? And, and maybe it's something that hasn't been, hasn't been thought about. It's just become a sound bite. So, um, I said, you know, that this is an opportunity for growth for each and every one of us and, and for our country and for people around the world who look to our, our democracy to see how we're managing it, this very young democracy. So um, that's one particular example. We also did it with, with, with uh, uh, marriage equality as well. And I also wanted to shout out to T. Um, and your, the, the answer that you gave initially and then as you adapted while listening to the group, that is an amazing, that's one of the ama amazing things that I dig about you, T, is that you listen, you adapt, and, and you celebrate, you know, the uniquenesses of the people who show up to this gig. And, and, um, and Victoria, you too. So um, it's a very joyful experience as a result. Thank you so much for that. Well, thank you. I plane there. You bet. I, thank you very much. I think that I've gotten, you know, a, a fair amount of, of dissenting views from the crew regarding my view. And, and to hear you say yes and recognize that, you know, uh, making, uh, you know, parliament and, and making bills and that type of stuff is one place where we do do these types of activities is heartening. But I also you know, want to give space to the rest of these rest of the crew who have very firmly said no, that this, uh, this, um, 
adage is not something that that holds true with them right and so i think that it's one of those cases where you identified a very specific use case and it's a great example and something and specifically in a democracy that's where this occurs is in a democracy right um and i think that that is such a great example and one of the compromises that you know we have to make in order to move our governance forward and so thank you for the work that you have done and thank you for your contribution here because i think it was a great one yes thank you charlotte and um, thank you Jay. thank you thank you thank you both yeah charlotte actually uh i i just followed you uh, so that I can message you later to ask you about how to get started into taking a more active role in, in writing legislation and being a little bit more active and more responsible citizen, if that's, if that's no trouble. You bet. I, I, I love to help. And just remember, to your own vote, be true. And we're coming upon this in, in this country right now as well. So I'd be glad to support you, Heretic. Thank you so much, Charlotte. And, uh, oh. Thank you for sharing, by the way. You're welcome. I love this stage. <laughs> Hugs all around. I love this crew, <laughs> this room. Yeah, it's it's really good. And and that that was the Heretic who I've enjoyed sharing space with in lots of different areas. So welcome to the stage. Welcome to the stage, the director. And Christy, we haven't heard from the three of you. Um, at this time, though, I'm going to move forward because all of these questions are are intertwined. And um, when we get to the last questions of the third episode, um, then I have some general questions. And Christy, I have not forgotten the question that I put out to the watch party yesterday that we will be talking about. So if you want to answer those questions that we put out now, great. Otherwise, I will be getting to the holodeck question. T. Can you provide a summary of the next episode, I, Borg, to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it what it was about? Then I have a few questions for you. Definitely. I, Borg, The Next Generation, Season 5, Episode 23, first aired on the 11th of May, 1992. So in this episode, the discovery of an injured adolescent Borg begins to surface hard feelings for both Captain Picard and Guinan for what the Borg Collective had done to them. Matters are complicated when plans to use the young Borg to destroy the people are halted when it is discovered that the Borg has become an individual. Now, I chose this episode because the Borg individual is another anomaly among the Borgs, amongst the Borg Collective. In the story arc of Locutus of Borg, with Hugh ended up showing the Borg how to be individuals, and that leading up to the events of Star Trek First Contact, where Lore finds the Borg struggling with its own individuality from the virus Hugh sent home with him. Thank you for that. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because um, they meant to send one virus and they sent another, right? We find out later. So I, I again, you guys are going to get tired of me saying this. I have to cut it out of the, the edits. I loved this episode. I thought, oh, Hugh. But here's the thing. Picard was a Borg at one time. So it did perplex me why he didn't think it was possible to de-assimilate the lone Borg that they saved. So, of course, that had to be the start of the 
story for the arc and I like I know all that um, but it feels it felt a bit, a bit weird to me and it also led me to think that Picard just wanted to kill the Borg which of course was true as well so he avoided getting to know the Borg at first I guess but in this episode I, I, there's just so much sweetness and tenderness from so many different people from Beverly from Jordy from Hugh and it it contains so much of why I loved Star Trek and why The Next Generation meant so much to me when it first aired and why it means so much to me now. And I'm just going to say this because this is <laughs> what Charlotte was sort of making me feel when we were all thank you, thank you and hugs is watching this with the crew at the watch party really tugged at my heart because that was sort of what Star Trek meant to me when I was first watching it, when Star Trek The Next Generation was on, but I didn't have people like this to share that with. I basically watched it on my own and just loved it on my own. It was like this little secret thing I had because I just didn't find people. And of course, at that point, there was no internet and, and I lived in a small city outside of Vancouver. And so in some way, there's this little part of my heart that this is finding that's always been there. And and I'm I just, I can't say enough about how much I love this club and this room and all of the people who are, are participating and sharing what they think. So thank you everybody for being vulnerable and honest. So getting back to business here. <laughs> thank you very much. Hugh, in leaving the collective, regained a part of his identity. T. Has that ever happened to you? In leaving a group, have you ever discovered something about yourself that you had forgotten or didn't know? Yes. Um, I know in leaving my faith, I discovered about myself that I wanted to be more discerning with my beliefs and I wanted to be more careful with the groups that I associated with. And that was something that I didn't realize about myself until it really happened to me that I said, I don't want to be a part of this group anymore. Um, and it was a deconversion process that took years. It was very difficult. There was a lot of struggle and uh, bad patterns of thinking that had been programmed into my mind that had that needed to be deprogrammed over time. And it was something that... I really had to accomplish on my own. And so I identify with you about loving these episodes and loving these uh, lessons and taking them with me into my future and really pondering on them. Because I think that Star Trek had a bit, with, uh, a bit to do with me leaving my faith and discovering something more about myself um, in that I really loved technology. And I really loved this idea that humanity had a future and technology was a big part of that. And that we could work together to discover new technologies and create new technologies. And in doing so, propel humanity into a better future than the one that we had had uh, going into the situation. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I guess there's some deconversion that happens. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I'll move to the uh, bottom of the stage here and uh, start with uh, the heretic, then the director and Christy. Uh, the heretic, has that ever happened to you? In leaving a group, have you ever discovered something about yourself 
that you had forgotten or didn't know? Actually, yeah, it's it's much the same as as T's story. Uh, I used to be a very fundamental Baptist Christian, a biblical literist. I believed in a six day creation. I believed in the old English, right? Uh, and when I left my church, once I realized that, wait, this, I, I started reading the book a little bit more, and I realized that the people that this book is speaking about is so far removed from the people that are standing in front of me. And just being a part of that church and the church systems made me feel like an individual that was wrapped in cellophane. Like I was like I was in a like an action figure box and like I could see everything and I and I knew what I was and I knew my potential, but there was just no ability to enact it because of the ex the expectation of of the church standards and societies like i was expected not to be at parties i was expected not to be in certain places i was expected not to be up during certain hours of the night and when i left i found that this was my awakening my my ability to to read a book and then discern it for myself and decide on how i view it and how i believe it and this actually allowed me freedom to to break this cellophane shell and go places where where I could learn way more about humanity and and learn way more about myself and interact with people that the church was saying that like you shouldn't interact with and and just grow myself and I now I understand humanity far more than I ever would if I would have stayed locked in a in a deluxe edition box at the Baptist church. You know what I mean? Like they were pushing me to go to school. Uh, they were, they were doing things that I just, I was like, no, you just want me to be a Borg. You want me to be part of the collective. You don't want me to feel, you don't want me to question. You don't want me to, to seek out and leaving allowed me to go places where I could, I could catch people out of the fire. Like I could go into the fire, find people burning and leave with them. Like if, if I went into the fire and made friends, when I would leave the fire, they would follow me out of the fire. And I couldn't do that in the church. So I felt far more usable and applicable outside of that system as an individual. Thank you for for that contribution. You always blow my mind with the way you speak and and how you describe things. Uh, I can always see them so clearly, and I really appreciate your your honesty with all of that. So thank you, the heretic. It's interesting because this question, uh, I didn't, I don't have anything like a uh, religious story to share. But I will say this, I, I'm a relatively social person who's always been considered extroverted because I'm a talker. Sometimes I talk to entertain myself, sometimes I talk to entertain others or fill space or whatever um, to feel like I'm contributing maybe. And so I've worn the label of extrovert my whole life, even though I've always loved being alone enjoyed my solitude and always needed a lot of time to re-energize. And how this relates to the question is that when COVID happened and we had to stay away from people, that was like me leaving a group, me leaving sort of a social life. 
and realizing how much of an introvert I am. I still love going places. I just don't need to do them with anybody, right? Or with big groups. But I didn't know that until until I was forced to reevaluate that. And I do look forward to a time where we don't have to keep that in mind. Uh, we still have to keep it in mind here. There's not lockdowns or anything, but we still are keeping it in mind. I I feel changed by it in a way that I think I know myself a little bit more because of that. So I just wanted to throw that out there. It's it's not always a particular group, but thank you for letting me share. Uh, T, did you have any thoughts on that before I move on? I definitely had my own journey with regards to my introversion. introversion. Um introvertism, whatever the word is, the, what I've learned is that I need to budget my energy accordingly. And when people surprise me with events that I have not budgeted my energy for, that's very alarming to me. Um, if you come to me and say, you know, Hey, uh, get in the car, we're going to a party. I'd be like, no, we're not. <laughs> Right. Because I have not budgeted my energy for that. But if you say, you know, next week we've got a party, I will absolutely budget my energy for that and make sure that I make that party. And so it's one of those things where, you know, I think, uh, you know, and, you know, there's always surprises in my life. And those are the things that you sort of got to have that spare reserve bit of energy for. And I've learn to just keep that in reserve. And I'm constantly being conservative with my energy as a result. And I think that that is ultimately what makes me an introvert um, is that that need, whereas other people are sort of the opposite. They, you know, recharge their battery spending time with people and discharge it when they're alone. Um, and I think that that's just, you know, it's how people are different and there's there's all arounders too these are not hard and fast categorizations but i definitely recognize my own um my own journey with learning that about myself i, I thank you for that t i just wrote down budget energy for events i really just like that because i think i might be able to say that to um, my husband and say do you think you can budget some energy for this event next week <laughs> I think that might show some respect for um, for that sort of introversion as well. The thing is, I I always thought that I was an extrovert and and just sort of filled that role, even though it exhausted me at times. And then, you know, every month or every couple of months, I would just say I was going to cocoon for three days and wouldn't talk to anybody because I had just like burnt out. And um, and it was over time that I realized that um, that as much as I enjoy being out and being social with people and and can get energized from it. I don't get all my energy from that. So I do need to budget energy for certain things. So um, I really appreciate that. I want to thank everybody for coming and sharing. I do have three other questions. And so uh, I want you to think about these things. We'll talk about them one at a time. But I wanted to throw them out to you as a teaser for, for what I where I want to go with the conversation next. Um, and then after I throw these questions out and you're thinking about this, I was hoping T could give us a rundown of what would be coming up in the next couple of weeks. 
the there were three three specific questions. The first was, I loved the addition of the holodeck scenes with Janeway and Da Vinci uh, in the Voyager episode. Some of you who are regulars might remember that it was Da Vinci who I mentioned I'd bring back to life so that he could see his inventions working for us now. So this was kind of a sweet callback for me. And it prompted this question, if you had a holodeck and could visit a, the place of work of anyone living or dead, who would you want to visit and work alongside? So that was one question. Who would you want, whose workshop would you visit in the holodeck? About the new alien, have you ever been scared of or stressed by something, assuming it was the worst case scenario, only to find out that there was something scarier or more stressful about to take place? And what did you do about it? And the third, can you think of a time, this is about Hugh, can you think of a time when you made an assumption about someone only to find out that you were completely wrong and what happened? So you don't have to answer all of these questions or any of the questions, but these will go in that order when we uh, come back from talking about what's coming up next. And then we'll just talk about the holodeck and we'll talk about the new alien and Hugh. So, um, so there's lots more coming, but right now I want to throw it to T. So T, can you share with us what's, co what's coming up? Most definitely. So coming up, we have on the 13th of November, Peace Through Music, starting with Q&A, which is a Star Trek shorts. And if you've not gotten into Star Trek shorts, I'm telling you, you're missing the best part of Star Trek. They're like Pringles. Once you pop, you can't stop. They're snack-sized and they're delicious. Q&A is about uh, <laughs> Spock coming in to a turbo lift in coming onto the Enterprise, um, or not coming onto the Enterprise, but he's coming into a turbo lift. I think he's coming onto the Enterprise um, and ends up getting stuck in the turbo lift and the antics that ensue. They're just great. Followed by Innocence. Innocence is from Voyager, in which Tuvok is trapped on a moon with a group of alien children who are disappearing one by one, and how music is used to soothe the stressed children. Followed by lessons in which Picard meets someone that he falls in love with on the Enterprise, and they share a number of romantic experiences through their love of making music together. After that, on the 20th, we have The Trouble with Transporters with Tuvix, the one where uh, Neelix and Tuvok uh, join together in the transporter and become someone someone else. Followed by The Realm of Fear and Second Chances, a really good episode, one of my favorites. Um, talking about the ship of, of Theseus, and so I'm looking forward to that episode. On the 27th, we have no show. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. But we're coming back on the 4th of December with Spies and Their Lies. Uh, that starts with the Enterprise incident, The Face of the Enemy, and Our Man Bashir. What a great episode that was. And finally, on the 11th of December, we have Did You See What They're Wearing? with Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country, Friday's Child, and The Way of the Warrior. And that will be the end of our season one. But we're so excited to be returning in January with season two. And there will definitely be more details about all of the incredible things that we're building because we are building a lot right now. We're gonna, you're gonna see some really cool stuff in this space. So keep t uh, stay tuned, please. Thank you, T. That was, that was great, yeah. 
and T and I haven't even really discussed the topics for season two. I have pages and pages of notes from these episodes where you guys had said, we should talk about this, we should talk about that. And so I've been writing those down. But we also had a list before we even started season one, a list of topics that we wanted to talk about that we were building on. So at some point, we're going to have to decide that too, because we'll take a couple of breaks in the spring and the summer as well. So the question that we had, which is lighter than a lot of the questions that um, we had earlier today is, if you had a holodeck and could visit the place of work of anyone living or dead, who would you want to visit and work alongside? Jamesy, what do you think? Who would you want to visit and work alongside? I've been dwelling on this question since you asked it, and I thought Da Vinci was the best answer, but then I applied my bias for sailing to it and decided on Darwin. Oh, oh, very good. His name hasn't come up before. Very good. And, and what do you think that you would be doing with him? Well, I just like, would like to be there to see him figure it out. Like to watch him go through the process. I, I, I loved the way that Janeway like remodeled the flying machine from the sparrow to the, like a, a gliding bird. And like, that's how they like us. Like, it was beautiful. That whole episode was amazing. Um, but like, there are people in history and moments in time that I feel like it would just be really cool to be in the room. And most of them happen in kind of a flash epiphany. But I, I think Darwin was kind of working it out like the whole time. Um, so I would get to go on like a really long sailing ship voyage at the same time. Very good. Very good. And I, I skipped right past my first officer on this question because I wanted to get to the crew. But this question does go out to T as well. So don't think that you're off the hook there, T. Because um, I did share mine yesterday too. And it certainly wasn't as deep as Jamesy's. That's for sure. So I'll share mine in a little bit. Um, so Christy, how about you? I threw this out to you yesterday. If you had a holodeck and could visit the place of work of anyone living or dead, who would you want to visit and work alongside? I knew you were going to ask me. <laughs> um, but I have not been able to narrow it down sufficiently. <laughs> to me, there's just so many people. But then you it's funny that you narrowed it even in your question that work alongside and visit them at their place of work, which is an interesting narrowing in my opinion. Um, because, you know, it's really funny, like uh, when somebody else said the room where it happens and I immediately went to Hamilton and I'm like, ooh, I want to be in the Hamilton where the room where it happens. Because <laughs> it would be really fascinating to hear and see the different things that people were saying, trying to determine like, the Declaration of Independence, because it was, I don't know, I just think it's amazing. Um, so anyway, I'm sorry, I'm giving you a non-answer like usual. But. <laughs> no, that's okay. These, these are just prompts to help us think about different things. So just to, um, uh, and this is what I shared yesterday, because um, sometimes I 
I like to just play and and uh, get a little silly. And so uh, mine wasn't as deep as Janeway's. Of course, Da Vinci. I mean, how amazing. And Darwin, what a great answer. And to be able to to watch it over time, say say that was in the holodeck, it would be chapters, right? You'd go in for an hour or two or a day and and be sailing, and it would be quite a slow progression. But this this whole thing could last you a year, right? of going in and exploring with Darwin. And I think that's a great answer. Mine was shorter. It was a shorter period of time. It was a weekend with the philosopher Camus, smoking and drinking in cafes and bars (laughs) and whatever else Camus wanted to get up to, to be honest, because he's the sexiest philosopher. So that was what I had said, (laughs) was that I wanted to spend a weekend with Camus because I was thinking of Riker when he was with, and I always lose her, uh, uh, Minuet, and so I was thinking of Riker and Minuet and and those kind of sexy scenes. And I thought, if I could just have a scene like that, who would it be with, right? And I thought, oh, yeah, maybe Camus, right? So so the answers to the questions don't have to be super deep. Um, oh, of course, they can be, but they can be playful as well. So T, why don't you tell us, if you had a holodeck and could visit the place of work of anyone living or dead, who would you want to visit and work alongside? There's so many there's so many people. Einstein seems like an obvious choice because I would want to be there to go through the thinking and, and that arrives at tensor equations and general and special relativity. And that's a that's an obvious choice. But I think the less obvious one is something like my girlfriend just said, Banksy. That's a good answer in my mind because to come Ooh. up with yeah, to really think through his creative process and see it in action, that would be uh, a, an amazing opportunity. And that's why I was always a little jealous of Exit Through the Gift Shop. And, you know, just the, if you've ever seen that that movie, and if you like Banksy and you haven't seen Exit Through the Gift Shop, then you really owe it to yourself to go watch it. Um, but there's there's others that come to mind. There's... um. Uh, I don't know, maybe uh, a, a famous king, like walking, you know, going through his day and seeing um, him plotting war against his opponents or holding court in um, and, and, you know, giving out justice and, and walking through all of that through his eyes or um, or even. Elliot discovering, you know, working out Elliot wave theory uh, in in markets about how markets go up and markets go down. There's there's so many good answers because there's so many people throughout history. I'll just leave it with uh, Mary Curie and discovering radiation in much the same way that I remember Data did in one of the episodes that we watched prior. I think that there's just uh, you know being being there for that discovery. And, and helping walk them them through that process of discovery it would it would just be the opportunity of a lifetime you guys you're so smart i'm all about the smoking and sex and music and navel gazing <laughs> i guess there has to be some of us just sitting around consuming um so uh thank you for that that was a great great share and great explanation um the heretic what were you gonna say so I actually have a few because I'm really undecided, but I'm pretty sure I know my number one picks, and there's two for my number one picks. But as a martial artist, I'm really curious 
I would love to talk to and and just go to work for a day with uh, either Miyamoto Musashi and just like pick his brain or Sun Tzu and just like understand like like get it word of mouth and understand how they lived and see their their teachings in physical action would be pretty cool. But from a technological uh, perspective, I would really, really love to talk to Nikola Tesla about some things and possible some misunderstandings that people have today and some focus points that I feel are are like side notes in his life that are now the main focus of history. I would love to just download this man's brain. But my my top picks, because of the direction I want to go in life and the change I think needs to, to happen, I would have to say I would love to be there the day and go to work with and leave for the day with uh, uh, Rosa Parks or Viola Desmond. Because these people were in, a, in an age in life uh, and from two different countries, Canada, uh, Viola's from Nova Scotia, and much the same as Rosa Parks, it was like a, she decided to sit somewhere that was segregated. And I would really love to see and hear from their own words and to see that fire, that passion take place where they decided enough is enough. And, and I'm going to make change. I don't care. I'm tired of this shit. And to see how they would have done it. And I feel because it would be, be humbling because uh, I got man's eyes. I can't see it from a woman's eyes. Also, I can't see it from a black person's eyes. But I do know in my personal life, uh, there's things that I feel need to change for certain genres of people. Uh, certain freedoms that need to be accessed uh, and stuff like that. And I think that these people really laid down the foundation of how to say enough is enough. And I would love to, I would love to watch that passion and not just a day. I would love to go through their whole journey with them, to be honest. But if I could sit down and talk to two people, it, it would, it would, or one person, it'd be one of them probably. Thank you, the heretic. That's great. Let's move on to the question I had about the new alien that came out in this Voyager episode uh, and Steve wanted to talk about um, the Borg and the other enemy. I can't remember what it was called, but, but so I'll put this question out. And when we, we get to you, Steve, perhaps you can bring that conversation back in. But the question that I had about this was, have you ever been scared or stressed by something like Janeway and the crew and, and, you know, humanity is about the Borg, assuming it was the worst case scenario, only to find out that there was something scarier or more stressful about to take place. And then what did you do about it? So I'm just looking at the stage here. Does anybody want to jump in about this and answer that question? So Victoria, you mean, is there something that we were stressing about, but then something worse that we had to worry about happened? Is that what your question is? Um, yeah, be, well, so we, in in the instance in the episode of Voyager, it was that they think that the worst um, enemy they have is the Borg, and then they find out who the hell's killing the Borg. It's this worse enemy, right? And and it reminded me, I'll just put it out there that I was going through a very stressful situation at work that just seemed like the worst situation at work right that I'd ever had and it was it was really impactful and so maybe this is just putting things into perspective but um 
and and it was quite stressful. And then my dad got very sick and within a month passed away. And going through that, knowing that that was going to happen, it made the job thing seem absolutely trivial, first of all. And, and then, and that sort of thing then remained trivial forever. So I wonder with this, the Borg and this other entity that they're dealing with, I mean, they're perhaps they'll never even think that this is the worst because now they know there could be always something more stressful or, or a, a worse enemy. So that's what, what it made me think of is we think these things about a certain uh, particular entity or happening, and then we're then proven wrong. And I thought, when did that happen to people? T, what about you? Did this bring up anything for you? Or and, and Charlotte, I saw you on mic, but let's go to T and then we'll go to Charlotte. Oh, it definitely did. Um, last year, I was in the hospital for, an ex for over a month um, when I almost had my arm completely ripped off in a motorcycle accident. And I had to go through seven surgeries. And going into this, I was pretty pain adverse and had, you know, didn't go to hospitals and and just, you know, wasn't about to handle any of this and was suddenly faced with a situation where I had to have a, a tube down my throat and like live with or up my nose and, you know, down my throat and, and live with all that and go into seven surgeries and, and be cheerful about that and, you know, grateful and happy because, you know, as scary as those things were, the alternative was, you know, so much worse. It was potentially dying. And that's what the doctors sort of had to, you know, walk me through. And so, yeah, I remember, you know, choosing surgery because the alternative was even more scary. Wow. I'm, I'm really glad that that's all over for you as well. That sounds terrifying. Um, that's absolutely wild. Steve, you had said that you wanted to talk about this Voyager episode with this this other enemy that was stronger than the board. Thank you. Did you want to rundown to take a couple of minutes and and just work that out uh, here because that's the episode that we're sort of talking about, and I, I wouldn't mind exploring that just a little bit. We'll probably end the room in about ten or fifteen minutes, but let's um, let's look at that for a second. Yeah. So first I wanted to just sort of lay out like um, asking myself the question of when the writers came up with the Borg, what were they really going for? What was what was the direction they were taking? Like, obviously, they wanted a bad guy. They needed Star Trek to have some some race that was going to be a huge threat to humanity and everything humanity stands for. And a lot of things that seemed to coalesce were things like evolutionary like like adaptation or the the sort of communal not just a hive mind but a a, a sort of a communistic kind of a, a thought process to it where they're optimally um working in tandem with one another but i think what really um like when when you take a, a just a slightly zoomed out view of these facets of what they they did in their design of the borg I think what the writers were really going for is this this species who ranks highest on their actual strategy, right? Because like, what what better strategy is there to than to be of one sound mind within a whole group, a whole society? And what better strategy is there than to um, 
than to to turn all of your your enemies into devotees to your cause the 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 thing that just is sort of left out of that optimized strategy is an actual goal that they're aspiring toward uh, aspiring towards other than assimilation itself what's the deal what is it you're trying to bring to the universe um and and why we even should have a reaction to you in the first place well the borg just want to assimilate without anyone's consent and this other species just wants to kill for the sake of killing because they're powerful and they 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 value that and so i think there's always these these deeper questions that we have to ask ourselves of like well what would strategy itself or power itself Mm -hmm. end up winning Mm -hmm. for its own sake is is that something we even if we don't care have to aspire to just to survive going back to the purpose of the borg um I thought about this myself, and I like your contemplation on this. Um, but when I did it, when I contemplated this, and I'm talking when I was watching this in the 90s, my thought wasn't that they don't have a purpose and other species do. My thought was, well, what are we doing? We may find that our our minute little actions have purpose within this tiny little time frame but we're just going along with things and and one might be able to say oh there's progress but there there might be progress in the borg that we don't know um you know someone could write some fan fiction about the nuances of it but to what end is what i'm hearing you say and and i say that about humanity to what end we just keep going right and we can enjoy ourselves during that and I want to live as long as I can in a healthy way um, and in, enjoy the time that I have here but to what end there's no ultimate goal of of the human species we just keep going we're just another animal and so when I contemplated that I didn't think that we were all that different from the Borg in sort of an ultimate goal but I did think that and I thought that 30 years ago so I appreciate you bringing that back um T did you have any thoughts on what Steve had to say yeah I think that it's a a good reflection and to bring in um some of the philosophy of Q I think that we can ask some dangerous questions here like what if the Borg actually have a, a a case here what if their goal of assimilation is a strategy that is for the betterment of the universe right whatever that may be and then we have to sort of define what betterment of the universe means um but i think that that is an interesting question to ask and you know i think that if you know i think there's an argument sort of obvious argument to be made that if you're if you're a living organism then death is probably not going to be preferable but in a lot of ways, you know, the the Borg can offer um, a, a life of experiences that not, that you know you couldn't otherwise offer. In a lot of cases, there's a lot of safety that comes from being assimilated. There's a lot of you know potential for you to contribute to a greater a greater good, if you will. And so, in in asking dangerous questions, I think it's important to ask the questions, the types of questions that Steve is asking is, you know, is strategy for the sake of strategy something that we just have to bow to and to what extent? I guess there's a uh, a meta ethic with regards to the choice of strategy there and that I think has to 
ultimately play out. And maybe we'll get more into meta ethics as as the uh, as season two progresses here. Thank you, T. You know the 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 thing that uh, came to mind with the Borg. I think the most terrible thing or terrifying thing about being assimilated for me was when Hugh was talking about the thousand voices in your head when you're sleeping. Like I was like, oh God, <laughs> that would be terrible. Jamesy, you unmiked. I did you have something to share? Yeah, the the Borg exist to survive the heat death of the universe so that life can continue to exist after the universe is no longer capable of sustaining normal life. But uh, I, I chose this picture of Hugh for this lowly gathering because it expresses just how lost he is without his collective. We need to be a part of a collective. At, like even the least extroverted of us need like some human contact. We do go crazy and make friends with volleyballs if we don't have human contact. And as far as like just being a cog in the wheel, there's only one year in American history where more people left the United States than came to it. And it was during the Cold War and it was to Soviet Russia because people couldn't find work. They needed work. They needed to be a cog in the wheel. So like if the if you, nobody wants to be just a cog in the wheel, but we all need to be a cog in the wheel or cog in the machine, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, those are really good points. Thank you. Great contemplation, Steve. Um, yeah, I'm going to think about those things a little bit more. And I'm sure that we'll, um, we'll be visiting those episodes uh, again. And uh, I know that there were a few of us who were in the watch party yesterday, because two of these episodes were part ones of two parts. They were season enders. And uh, I don't know if anybody here went on last night to watch season or the episode uh, part two of both those, but I have plans to do that tonight because uh, they were they were both. great. <laughs> oh, good for you, Christy. I already watched them both. Okay. I had to know what happened. <laughs> yeah, right on. T, did you have anything to say before I wrap up? No, I just thought this was an absolutely incredible episode. I especially like the way that the crew uh you know push back on my ideas and change my mind very effectively with some really good arguments and some really good um discussion and so just wanted to thank everyone for the amazing episode and look forward to seeing you in the hallway and definitely look forward to the next episode because i i have a strong feeling some of you are going to get into star trek shorts for the first time when you watch uh this week's uh this coming week's uh, watch party and uh, it's really a good time. So look forward to seeing you there. Thank you, T. And thank all of you for coming and sharing your thoughts on Star Trek and your personal experiences that come to mind through these questions that I ask. And if you want to ask questions or you have something to say like Steve did, please let me know. You can do, you can do it at the watch party or you can do it during the, the episode and we'll, we'll make time for it in this sort of uh, looser time frame here so this has been star trek sundays on clubhouse please join us next week sunday november 13th for peace through music and let us know if you need any help joining us for the watch party on saturday because it's always a lot of fun love to see you guys there and like christy did yesterday you might get a little hint about what the questions are that we're going to ask on sunday 
So thank you, everyone. And we will see you, hopefully, Sean, I'll see you in the sci-fi room later. And uh, everybody have a, a great week. We'll see you around.